Well, go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 21. We have reached the end of the book of Ephesians. Can you believe it? We've spent 35 weeks in the book of Ephesians, 35 sermons, and what a book. Next week, we're going to do a full recap of the book. So we're going to look back at the best of from this letter so that we don't forget. And Paul reaches the end of the letter here and he shares his closing thoughts. Now, let's remind ourselves that the book of Ephesians was written. It was a letter uh, written to the church in Ephesus. And so I've got some pictures here of the city of Ephesus. This was not a primitive mud hut village, okay? Uh, This city was one of the most sophisticated cities in one of the most sophisticated empires in the ancient world. And Ephesus was beautiful. It was sprawling. They had so many people from such different cultures. Here's another picture. Uh, They had a theater where they would do plays and, and have public gatherings. I mean, this place was absolutely happening. So this is where the letter went. They received the book of Ephesians for the first time. We're studying it many years later. So it might sound like an underwhelming premise that we're going to cover the closing remarks. Paul's basically saying goodbye, and a whole sermon is going to come from that. Uh, Yes. Think about it. This is actually profound. Because Paul, who destroyed the church and murdered Christians then saw the risen Lord and became an apostle. The author alone is pretty awesome. Now he's in jail for his faith, and he's writing a letter to uh, one of the first regional centers for missions and church planting ever in the church. That's Ephesus. And the Holy Spirit is authoring this text through Paul for them and for us. This book would be included in the canon, And it would be written to the global church to come, you and me. Uh, And it was written through Paul in his cell. So every word of this letter is a wonder and a treasure. So yes, we're covering the end of it, but it is still going to be a great sermon. So here is the uh, title slide for this series, which is Glory in the Church. That's our goal. It's all about experiencing, expressing God's glory in the church. The sermon title today is The Final Word, Ephesians 6, 21 to 24. That's where we are going today. All right, let's say a prayer and then we'll get into the book together. Father, thank you for 35 weeks in this book. You have taught us so much about life, faith, godliness, loving you, loving your word. Bless the last passage here today. And Jesus, we pray that you would strengthen your church Even though we're not gathering in person, be present today in power as your word goes forth. Meet us, O Lord, in ways that only you can. And use this passage of the book, this section of the book, to teach us special things about yourself and about our mission and about our church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, in Ephesians 6, verse 21, here's what it says. So that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. All right, let's circle back to verse 21. It says this, So that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. All right, so the first point, you can write this down as a question. It's this, what do we learn from Tychicus? Um, are you expecting a child? Have you not quite picked out a name yet? Allow me to suggest Tychicus. <laughs> you can call him Ty for short. Uh, I know it's not trendy, but you can start the trend. Maybe even get ahead of the trend if this name is catching on. Uh, but there's a man named Tychicus who is mentioned here, and we can learn a lot. I'm going to leave the point up for just a little longer because I made you spell out his name. So what can we learn from this guy? Well, he, he comes up a few times in the New Testament. He is a traveling companion and trusted church leader and messenger for the Apostle Paul and others. He's Paul's friend and fellow missionary. They traveled around the ancient world together. I'm sure they had wonderful stories and memories to share. And when Paul wanted to send not just the book of Ephesians, but it's also mentioned that he carried the book of Colossians out to that region, uh, he was the delivery guy who would carry a a mint copy of a new book of the Bible to the city that would receive that. All right, I'll go back to my camera now. I do my own tech when I do this, and so i got to be careful to make sure that I don't leave you on a point here. Okay, so what do we learn from Tychicus? Well, here's what it says. It says, he's the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. So you can write this down. We learn from his life that we should be faithful servants in the Lord. Go ahead and write that down. Be a faithful servant in the Lord. This is how he's described by Paul, a faithful servant in the Lord. The word servant, if you look in the Greek, is diakonos. Now that sounds like what? Deacon, right? We get our word for deacon from uh, this word for servant, diakonos. And so the root of this word in the Greek means to run, to run. And by implication, it meant someone who would run a message for the king or who would run an errand for a public official. Uh, it, it could also describe someone who served or waited on others at, at the table, who waited on them. Um, and so it's a servant role. Therefore, Tychicus was a deacon. We don't know if he had the office, but he definitely had the uh, jobs that a deacon would get. And one of his deacon, deacon duties was a courier for the Apostle Paul. Now, he was definitely a leader, and many of the deacons mentioned in the New Testament were very strong spiritual Christian men who accomplished great things and did great roles for the church. He was definitely a leader. Paul mentions him in the book of Titus as somebody who could come to the island of Crete and take over everything, right? Like a regional administrator. So he was definitely a strong leader, a trusted leader. And what did he do? Well, he showed up, he served, and he strengthened young churches. That's what he did. He was a faithful servant in the Lord. Now, here we find a window into true spiritual leadership in the New Testament. What is spiritual leadership? Uh, what does it mean to serve with integrity? Well, Paul was willing to suffer patiently in prison 
He didn't just play the harmonica and cross his arms and say, oh, well, I guess God forgot about me. He's writing Bible books. And he's willing to suffer in prison with faith while he strengthens the faith of others in the church. And he hands things over to a guy like Tychicus, who is coming and going faithfully. They are team players. They are getting the church moving forward. And Tychicus was content to play this secondary role to an apostle, to come and go, to visit him in prison and to say, what do you want me to do now? What do you want me to do now? And in both of their lives, we see what it means to be a humble spiritual leader. I remember watching a movie when my children were younger, and it was a cheesy movie, uh, but Kurt Russell's in it, so it was kind of cool. It was called Sky High. Maybe you remember the movie Sky High. It's about a high school that's in the clouds, in the sky. And these kids would go up to the high school because they had superpowers. Well, once they got there, they had to appear before the gym teacher. The gym teacher's job was to decide what their power was and where they should be placed. So he'd blow his whistle and he'd bring a kid up and he'd say, what's your power? And then they'd do their power. And then if they like flew or could super punch or whatever, he'd say, hero. And then if somebody came up and he's like, what's your power? And they like turned into a puddle of slime. He'd be like, sidekick. And everybody wanted to be a hero, but a lot of people had to become sidekicks. Now, in our lives, we often want to be the hero. We really don't like being the sidekick. When it comes to spiritual leadership and being humble servants, we don't get to be the hero. Often, we get to be the sidekick. And what we see here is Tychicus was more than willing to be a sidekick. The Apostle Paul, in many ways, was a hero, but he's in jail. Oftentimes, he was willing to play a secondary role and help other people to actually show up and do the work. He would leave other people in charge. And so we really want to be the hero, but often we have to learn to be the sidekick. During our launch team days, we launched the church back in 2009, and we had a small growing launch team of like 30 adults. And we did an open house at Chicago Christian High School down the street, And every team member had a job to do because we were welcoming a crowd into the room and we were saying, hey, we're going to launch this church in the fall. We haven't even had one service yet. And we want to tell you about what we believe God is going to do. Uh, And so so there we were and and everybody got a job. Some people uh, were coming up front to share their testimony, our leader team and what they were building. Other people had to either, uh, there were many different roles. Well, there was one man in particular, he was newer to the team. So we made him a greeter. We put him on door duty and we said, hey, you got to welcome these people and make them feel loved. And they came in. Well, he was not happy. He saw everybody up front. He wasn't up front and he thought he should be up front. He didn't say anything during the event. But then after the event was over, I got a long email from his wife, not from him, from his wife. I mean, I mean, paragraph after paragraph of, do you have any idea what you've done? Do you know who my husband is? And she listed all of the wonderful things he's done for Jesus. How dare you just make him a door greeter and not let him come up front and tell everybody about his credentials? And so I emailed back very politely and said, hey, we're really looking for humble leaders who are willing to do anything right now. We don't even have a church yet. So there's going to be a lot of things that need to get done, and you're probably not going to be on stage. And that they said no deal. They moved along because they wanted to be the heroes, not the sidekicks. 
And let's face it, this is true about all of us, right? We get so caught up in our own self-importance. We get so caught up in wanting to make a difference and, you know, not to have to listen to other people or do what they say. We kind of want to be the hero, don't we? I read a very humbling statistic this week. Do you know there are now 7.8 billion people on the planet Earth? 7.8 billion. Do you know what that means? That means you're one in 7.8 billion. And so am I. And you know what? We're just not that big of a deal. It's a big world. There's a lot going on. We're just not that important. I know this is going to hurt your feelings, but we're really not that big of a de- big of a deal. There's so much bigger things going on. We have to be willing to humble ourselves. We're not that important, but listen, apart from Christ. But when we serve Christ, then no matter what we're doing, we become eternally significant. Hey, this is an important spiritual principle. When you serve Christ, even the smallest errand becomes an expression of his kingdom on earth. You represent the greatest person in the universe. We're willing to serve, to assist, to do whatever that needs to be done. Why? Why? Because it's for him and therefore it's forever. What do you think people are going to be talking about in heaven forever? The things we did to serve Christ, his kingdom, his glory. Trust me, you're not going to be walking around heaven showing people how many Instagram followers you have. You're not that big of a deal. But Christ is, and he has work for you and I to do. So be a faithful servant in the Lord. What else do we learn uh, from Tychicus? Well, you can write this down. Um, We are supposed to encourage other believers. So it says here that he is a faithful minister in the Lord, verse 21. Verse 22, I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So he was sent to tell the news about Paul's situation and to uh, deliver a book of the Bible and then to encourage other believers. Now, what we learn is that's our job too. We are supposed to encourage each other in the church. Paul wanted this church to be lifted up. They were in the minority. They they had left their customs, their cultures, and joined together in this crazy new thing called the church that nobody knew about. And it caused a lot of trouble in Ephesus. There were riots in there over this Jesus thing, right? So they needed encouragement. The word encouragement in the Greek means parakaleo. Um, and you probably know that word. The Holy Spirit, one of his, he is a, a paraclete, a parakaleo. He comforts us. And so the word for encouragement there is is to comfort us in our distress. You would think that maybe because God has bigger things to worry about than you and me, that he wouldn't actually stop to look on whatever's getting us all worked up and be like, you know what? I'm going to encourage that person right now. But that's our God. Our God wants to encourage us. And so and so Tychicus showed up and he's like, I'm here to brighten your day to lift your spirits, to cheer you up. And boy, do we need that today. How are you doing at looking around the church and saying, you know what, I'm just going to encourage somebody today. I'm not going to ask for things. I'm not going to, you know, be like, hey, what do you think about the election? I'm not going to bring up like heavy, controversial things. I'm going to be like, hey, how can I encourage you today? How can I pray for you today? I'm sending 
encouragement. Encourage other believers. I don't know how he did this because he basically showed up and he's like, I'm here to encourage you. And then they're like, all right, what do you got? And he's like, Paul's still in jail. Oh, that's a downer. Yeah, but there's a lot of great things happening. And so he told them all about what was going on in the churches all around the world, the miracles that had been done, the messages that had been sent. I mean, God was showing up and building his church and his church was unstoppable. So he shared many stories of lives being changed. You can do that too. God wants to use you to encourage others in the church. And he wants to use others to encourage you in the church. God will lift your spirits. And Antigonus showed up with a book of the Bible too. Here's God's word and here's encouragement. What a great model for us. Hey, I'm going to share some, some of God's word with somebody. Maybe even you look through This would be a good challenge this week. Read through the book of Ephesians again because we're going to do a recap next week. Let's just let it soak into our souls. But maybe find something in the book of Ephesians for someone else and send it to them or post it on their page or whatever and be like, hey, this made me think of you. I just wanted to lift your spirits today. It's important. It's important to God and it's important to Paul. It's important to the church. So who needs your encouragement this week? So what do we learn from Tychicus? Well, he's a faithful servant in the Lord. He encouraged other believers. And then you can write this down. Um, What we learn from him too is that the New Testament sprang from real life. He's carrying a book of the Bible. We see a little window here into where the Bible came from. So write this down. The New Testament sprang from real life. (laughs) Where did the New Testament come from? Uh, Okay, you have an inmate handing off a scroll to a courier, walking like snail mail, walking into town, giving it to the elders of a local church who then discussed it and applied it and taught it and stored it. And then it was sent around the region and read to the other churches in the area. And... Shazam? It's the Bible? Yeah. How can we know? What makes this letter the Bible? Well, the author was an eyewitness of the resurrection. Paul saw the risen Lord. He was also commissioned directly by Christ himself. He had the gifts of the apostle, which means he could do miracles. He had the authority of Christ to speak, and the Holy Spirit guided what he was saying. So when he sends a letter to Ephesus or uh, the book of Colossians, uh, he's writing on behalf of God. And the doctrine of where the Bible came from is that this this book is God-breathed. It's through the human authors, but it's from the lips of God. In 1 Corinthians 14.37, Paul knew this. He said, what I am writing to you is a command of the Lord. He knew he was speaking for God. And in 2 Peter 3.16, Peter says this, Be careful with those who are warping and distorting what our brother Paul writes. He says this, they are doing it to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. Peter knew Paul's writings were on par with scripture. And to distort and twist them was to distort and twist God's word. If you read through the book of Revelations, the apostle John knew, you mess with my book, you're not going to heaven. I mean, this this is the way it was. So in the New Testament, We see that the New Testament sprang from real life. It was a scroll being handed by a courier to a local church, but it was the word of God. 
So number one, what do we learn from Tychicus? Well, be a faithful servant in the Lord, encourage other believers. And we see that the New Testament sprang from real life. Now, number two is a little bit different. We learn what we are supposed to fill the church with. So write this down. Fill the church with the blessings of Christ. He goes on to say in verse 23, Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So these are the blessings of Christ. And we are challenged here to be filled with these things and then to fill the church with these things. So he didn't just send a rule book, right? Look, we've had a lot of problems in Corinth. Things are getting out of control. So I'm going to give you the 20 commandments, follow them. And I don't want to hear any trouble from jail, right? It could have just been law, law, law. But instead, this book is filled with exhortations about virtue and peace and love and building strong relationships with God and with others. So we want to build these things into our own hearts and into our church. Okay, the first one is this, peace. It says in verse 23, peace to the brothers. Peace be to the brothers. Doesn't just mean the men, brothers, was inclusive of everyone. Peace be to the church. <clears throat> and the word peace, if you look in the Greek, it's kind of interesting. Uh, we, get, we get our name Irene from this word. Irene means peace. Did you know an Irene growing up? We had, we had Aunt Irene in my family. But did you have a grandma Irene, it means peace. Another name we can bring back. We can bring back Tychicus and we can bring back Irene. You can have a boy and a girl, Tychicus and Irene. There you go. Irene is a beautiful name. It means peace. Now, there was a Greek goddess named Peace too, but that doesn't ruin it because Jesus is the prince of peace. He's the prince of peace. And how are you doing at being filled with peace? Oh, goodness, it's 2020. I mean, I'm, I mean, let's get real. Peace in 2020. Uh, we've had nothing but clamor. How can I be filled with peace in 2020? The word means tranquility, quietness, rest, resolution, reconciliation, a ceasefire. All those things are included in this word peace. One dictionary says this. It's the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is. Hey, are you content? Are you at peace with where your life is right now? Do you have it in your heart? Peace isn't something that we find at the end of our checklist, right? I saw somebody post something on Facebook this week and they said, look, 2020 isn't about getting everything you want. It's about appreciating everything you have. It's a good word, but I would add this. 2020 is about appreciating everything we have in Christ. We go to him first. We find peace in him first. Then we carry it with us through the madness of what's going on out there. Peace. Peace means in our church, there's not worry. There's not war. There's peace. Hey, are you anxious? Are you fretting? Are you fearing? Let the peace of Christ, the Bible says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Lauren and I finally saw Hamilton. A lot of people already saw it. I know. You're like, where were you? We finally watched it because it's on Disney+. Plus. So we watched Hamilton and we loved it. 
It was really amazing. The funniest part is when King George shows up. He He's a buffoon. He shows up and he, he sings like this grieved lover who lost his, his uh, wife, you know, America, that went away. And he, he sings these whiny songs about how America went away. So I've got this picture here of King George from Hamilton. And my question for you is, what's ruling your heart? This ruler was ridiculed throughout the play because he was a tyrant and because he was wicked and because he was whiny and because he was irrational and unreasonable and whatever. So my question for you is, is that what you have ruling your heart? Or do you have the peace of Christ? Are you letting the peace of Christ rule in your hearts? Or is there this whiny tyrant sitting on the throne inside of you, creating so much turmoil that you can't even sleep right? We need to let Christ rule. And once he's ruling in our hearts and giving us the peace, then guess what? We can fill the church with it. And we can fill the world with it. So fill the church with peace. Next, fill the church with faith. It says in verse 23, peace to the brothers and love with faith. We're going to come back to love because it comes back up a few times. Love with faith. Faith. So we're filling our hearts with faith and we're filling our church with faith. We learned about how the shield of faith, right? The shield of faith. We're to raise that up when Pastor Thomas preached. We are to raise up the shield of faith. That means conviction, means confidence. Faith protects us from the lies of the enemy who is sowing seeds of doubt in our hearts and despair and division and discord in in the church. We raise the shield of faith on our own and together to ward off all of his nonsense. Hey, we're not to be filled with doubt. We are not to disregard what we've heard from Scripture. We're not to be double-minded in how we treat Christ or what we believe about him. So many people are so double-minded. One minute they believe what the Bible says, and then the next minute they're doubting. The next minute they're fearing. The next minute they're not confident that God is going to come through for them. We have to have faith. The Bible says that without faith it's impossible to please God. We have to have it. We have to walk by faith, not by sight. Hey, do you believe in 2020 that God is going to provide for you? Do you believe in 2020 that God is going to protect you? That's faith. That's faith. Believe it before you see it. Too often people keep poking the wounds, like Thomas, poking the wounds of Jesus. Show me the, show me again. Show me again. Show me again. Can I trust you? Can I trust you? A lot of people live with a gavel in their hands and they're judging God. They're judging, well, is he going to come? They're judging God. Well, did he get it right? Hey, hey, just drop the gavel and say God has been found faithful forever. Faithful forever. No more trials of God. Raise the shield. And no matter what it is that's challenging your faith right now, no matter who it is that's making life hard right now, faith, faith. Fill the church with faith. Help others to believe. So peace, faith, and then the next one is grace. Grace. It says, uh, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24, grace. And when it comes to grace, here's what that means. Uh, I wrote this down from another source. It says, that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, and loveliness. Joy. Is this what's in your heart? Joy. 
pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, love, and grace. Are you a gracious person to be around? Doctrinally, grace, it is by grace we have been saved through faith. It is the gift of God. Uh, God gives us grace in Christ. It means unmerited favor, meaning great treatment, gracious treatment that you will never deserve. That's what we should give others in Christ. Grace should govern our actions and affections for other Christians. We should treat others better than they deserve. Too often in churches, they become cold, disconnected. They don't care about each other. They're not good to each other. We are to bring grace into the church, and therefore it has to be in our hearts. We're not supposed to just judge and police each other. We're not to become filled with envy and rivalry and discord and cliques and We're not to be defiant toward other people and leaders and policies. We're not to be ruthless, right? We're not to be callous. We're to be gracious. So we have to fill our hearts with the grace of Christ and the faith and the peace. And the last one is love. We have to be filled with love. The greatest is love. It's the most excellent way. The word there is agape. It's love without condition. And there's, it says here, Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. I love that. I love that. You know why I love that? The final word, it's the title of this sermon, the final word is love. Love. Love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Now this is a specific kind of love. It's love for Jesus. And it's incorruptible. The word incorruptible means it's sincere, it's enduring, it's pure, and it's genuine. It's the real thing. Hey, how is your love for Christ right now? So many people go through this life not loving Christ, or or they're on and off with him, right? Now I need him, now I don't. Now I need him, now I don't. That's not love. That's not love for Christ. What is love? Greater man has no love than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life for you so that you can go to heaven forever. Do you love him? Do you love him regardless of how hard your life is right now? And are you growing in love for Jesus? Do you know that whatever you're going through right now, everything in your life is an invitation to strengthen and deepen your love for Christ? So often we want to know why. Why? 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 You might not get a specific answer, but I can tell you this. One reason is this. This happened to strengthen and deepen your love for Christ. Is that what it's doing? Is that what it's, that might be the main thing that it's supposed to do. Or are you growing colder? Or are you growing distant? Do you feel further? Are you moving slower spiritually? Love is the final word. We know Ephesus became a truth church, mature believers, knowledgeable of Scripture. The Spirit's last exhortation to them was love, Christ, love, with an incorruptible love. We actually know they didn't listen. If you look in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, Jesus was hollering at his churches. And when he got to Ephesus, he said, you have forgotten your first love. I don't feel loved. And I don't feel like you're loving other people. Truth, church, law, rules, no love. 
We've got to be filled with the love of Christ. Ephesians 5.2 says, live a life of love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Love is what truly matters in this life. Not power, not money, not pleasure, not trips. Everybody who received this letter in the church, they're all forgotten. We don't know one of them. They're buried in the sands of time, but their lives mattered. Their lives mattered. Why? Because they loved Christ. Because they loved each other. I've got one last quote that I want to share with you here. It's very powerful. And I think it fits what Tychicus did and what the other believers in this glorious city that's now in ruins, totally forgotten. I think it it really hits on what life, what really matters about life. Frederick William Faber said this, Brightly colored sunsets and starry heavens, majestic mountains and shining seas, and fragrant fields and fresh-cut flowers are not even half as beautiful as a soul who is serving Jesus out of love, through the wear and tear of an ordinary, unpoetic life. Let's pray. Father, make that our hearts. Help us to be servants of Christ. Jesus, help us to love you with all of our hearts, our minds, our souls, all of our strength, because you died for us and you rose again. Jesus, help us to serve you well, no matter what you have for us. And I pray that you would fill our hearts and fill our church with peace, with faith, with grace, and with love. And may you do this all for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.